Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Andrea Mitchell from NBC posted the most ridiculous news story just this uh, this afternoon. U.S. ex-spies warned that Hunter Biden's scandal had Russian fingerprints. They feel vindicated now. This is from NBC News. Remember, everything about Russian collusion or even the Hunter Biden laptop was all debunked as complete BS. But this is the story she's peddling. Former U.S. spies warned in 2020 that the Hunter Biden scandal had Russian fingerprints They feel vindicated now. (laughs) This is from Ken Delanian. So big old Russian collusion hoaxer. The Justice Department's assertions this week that a longtime FBI informant was seeking to, quote, spread misinformation designed to hurt President Joe Biden's uh, election after speaking to Russian intelligence operatives has put a new spotlight on an old debate. To what extent, if any? Has the Russian government manufactured or amplified unproven allegations of corrupt Ukraine dealings by Joe and Hunter Biden? In a request to revoke his bail, prosecutors said that the former informant, Alexander Smirnov, um, la- uh, charged last week with lying to the FBI in 2020 when he said Joe Biden had received a $5 million bribe, quote, is actively peddling new lies that could impact U.S. elections after meeting with Russian intelligence officers as recently as last fall. The allegation that uh, Smirnov was spreading new falsehoods about Joe Biden with an election looming um, harken back to an episode from the 2020 election when the question of whether Russian spies were trying to smear Joe Biden and when that was first raised. Derogatory information purportedly from Hunter Biden's laptop had surfaced in New York in a New York Post article soon afterwards. 51 former intelligence officials signed and blasted to the media a letter warning that the laptop story has all the classic earmarks of Russian uh, misinformation and it's a a Russian operation. The letter continued, we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails are genuine or not and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement, just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government had played a significant role in this case. So, you know, that was all shown to be BS because Hunter Biden left that laptop at a repair shop, right? So we go back to 2016, first uh, incident of Russian collusion, when it was Hillary Clinton taking taking oppo from, or campaign oppo that the Free Beacon was compiling and they saw that this was complete garbage. So they just left it with the uh, firm that was putting it together. And of course, the Clinton administ- uh, the Clinton campaign bought it, and then they disseminated it through operatives. It went through uh, it went through FBI agents to individuals in the media, so that they can re- report it as it's some br- you know breaking story, and then they can take those stories to the FISA court and say, "See, we got a problem here." And they did this with Perkins Coy, a, a law firm that has deep ties to Clinton operatives, and. They pushed this narrative of Donald Trump being a Russian stooge so that they can run it through the news media, take it to the FISA court, get a warrant to spy on his campaign and totally do what Watergate did, but to the hundredth degree. 
So we know all of that was BS. And then we find out that years later, Hunter Biden left his laptop and that laptop was obtained by Rudy Giuliani and uh, parts of, uh, you know, the Trump camp. And they were digging through it and putting out the information and they were running cover on the left with the, you know, Biden campaign and the media like Andrea Mitchell and trying to say, oh, this is all Russian misinformation. So why are they doing this? Because they're trying to steer the color revolution in America. And we have that happening. And they're also trying to steer the soft coup as they did in 2020. And we can get into how the social media platforms were taken. They were built by uh, grants from DARPA with individual tech people. But as it got close to 2016, 2017, they switched on a dime and began infiltrating those companies so that they could use them to sway power here in America in their favor. And we're going to get into the list of individuals that was uncovered. It's pretty mind-blowing when you realize this is the reason why they're targeting Elon Musk. They're going after him because they want to destroy the one man who has rooted up all this information, taken the information in, in the background and given it to Michael Schellenberger and Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and all those people to go through, comb through the information and put it out there to show that we had intelligence efforts with our intelligence working with the U.K., we did a whole podcast on that with Michael Schellenberger's revelations where they were they were basically spying for each other. And uh, you get into the people who are involved in this campaign and you go, OK, uh, why are they doing this? <laughs> why are we spying on our own people? Why are we using the levers of government that are, you know, given to us as citizens? We're the ones who put these people in power. Why are they taking these things and using them against us? Um, on the other side of the break, we're going to get into the list of individuals from the CIA and the FBI that are involved in Google and involved in Facebook and Meta, uh, YouTube down the line. And you get a stark picture that what we're seeing isn't a, a way to circumvent misinformation. It's a way that they can provide misinformation and build a narrative and avoid or disallowing the truth to pierce that narrative, disallowing the, the real truth and the real information to show to the light of day to the public that would show that the narrative that they're building, whether it's Russian collusion or whether it's, you know, Russian hacking into laptops and they can show that that's all garbage. And we can show that everything that they are pushing is for other motives for dangerous motives. I mean, color revolution here in America? Let's flood the border with illegals. Let's uh, overwhelm systems so that they collapse upon themselves. Let's install a leader using you know, unconstitutional unconstitutional electioneering on the state level or mail-in Dropbox ballots. You know, I mean, we we can show that they are doing all of these efforts, whether it be Antifa or BLM, organizing them through social media channels, just as they did with Ukraine and their orange rev or the, uh, the, yeah, the orange revolution, I think it was. Um, and then also what happened in the middle East with the Arab spring, all of that conducted by the state department with civil society 2.0 under Hillary Clinton. 
you get to see, and we're, we're going to play a clip from a State Department, a former State Department official, where he lays out all of this. But you get to see that things were not what it seemed even back during Obama and the Arab Spring, even back during, you know, during Syria that we uncovered in our two-part uh, series, uh, even with what happened in Ukraine and why it's happening now. Once we get to the nuts and bolts of the people that are behind it and the methods they use, you'll have a clearer picture as to why things seem to be spontaneous and widespread when they're all organized behind the scenes. It's nothing organic. It's all astroturf. It's nothing grassroots. It's all BS. And we'll get into the names of the players here on the other side of the break. Stick with us. This is Adrian Slade. There is this amazing thread by an account called Name Redacted at Name Redacted 247 on X talking about the infestation of social media, the higher ups, the heads of certain departments, how they're all U.S. intelligence community uh, officers. So I'm going to go through this thread real quick, kind of give you a breakdown of what we're dealing with. And so maybe that'll make, you know, give you an understanding, a level of understanding as to why we are dealing with the censorship that we dealt with before Elon Musk bought X, while you're seeing YouTube videos shut down, demonetized, uh, Facebook posts removed. It's, it's quite stunning. So the thread begins, Google and Meta function as extensions of the U.S. intelligence community, with Jacqueline Lepore, Google's head of trust and safety, and Aaron Berman, Meta's head of elections content misinformation policy, both being career CIA officers. It underscores the CIA's substantial control over online censorship. Why is this CIA big tech revolving door where career CIA officials wield power to censor and decide what misinformation is purposefully suppressed in the broader conversation about censorship? Why are career CIA officers like Jacqueline Lepore and Nick Rossman who both have a history of spreading misinformation and promoting the Russiagate conspiracy theory, now in senior roles in trust and safety at Google, deciding what is misinformation and overseeing content moderation. The cumulative number of former intelligence community personnel hired by Meta and Google since 2018 is staggering. Before 2018, there were only a handful. Here are the combined hires by both companies. For the CIA, there's 36 individuals. FBI, 68, NSA, 44, the DHS, 68, State Department, which is key, 86, and the Department of Defense, 121. It's incredible. So why would Google specifically choose these six individuals as executives to attend a security event in D.C.? Now, the picture that they have is a few individuals that we're going to get into and what's really interesting, it also has Robert Gates, CIA director. And on top of that, one that is off to the right is an attorney from where? Perkins Coy. Amazing, isn't it? These people just show up everywhere. But they're all hanging out with CIA officers that are now Google and Meta and involved in various different tech areas. Um so it goes on to say Jacqueline Lepore spent 10 years at the CIA before joining Google in 2017. She is currently head of trust and safety where she is not only 
the one who determines what constitutes misinformation, but also wields considerable power in content moderation on Google search and YouTube. In this interview, Lepore is promoting the Russiagate conspiracy theory. I wonder if she believes her own propaganda. Yeah, listen to this. Uh, I think the, the difference here is even though the hacking was done on, on both sides, they deliberately released uh, the uh, DNC information to WikiLeaks. Mm -hmm. And so the, even though the hacking was on both sides, it was the release of the information out into the public domain with the specific motivation of helping Trump get elected, which is so significant. I mean, this is extremely significant. We have increasing um, mounting levels of evidence that uh, Russia's fingerprints are all over this. I mean, uh, when Trump talks about being caught in the act, I mean, that's exactly what we have here. Uh, the hackers have been caught in the act. And we know that Russia has the, the means and the motivation and, uh, and the capabilities to do all of this. So um, this is completely unprecedented in U.S. electoral history. Um, I can't even stress how significant it is. Okay. Yeah, it's very unprecedented, Ms. Lepore from the CIA, who's now involved in Google and YouTube, because it never happened. It was all BS. You didn't catch any hackers in the, pro in the process. It, it's, it's all been debunked. But yeah, so that's why they want to be the gatekeepers. We've talked about the gatekeeper aspect for a while now, why they want to make these misinformation boards globally on the World Economic Forum panels where they want to control information because we don't want bad information, malinformation going out. Well, they're pushing BS and it's supposedly correct. And all the debunking of it is considered misinformation. That's how this goes. You know, if you got to keep your power, well, then you have to maintain it by providing false narratives that everybody believes in. So the Post goes on to say Jacqueline Lepore a career CIA officer played a significant role in developing various intelligence programs at Google and YouTube. She manages intel operations for violent extremism, misinformation, hate speech, etc. Led development of intelligence programs for global election analysis. Developed the YouTube intelligence desk and developed Google's first machine learning threat detection and analysis program provided daily COVID-19 briefings to senior leadership at Google and YouTube CEOs. So, yeah, the misinformation about lockdowns and all that BS, huh, she's the one who provided it. In 2015, Lepore authored a rather bizarre article titled The Best Reason for the Iran Deal? The West Will Learn Where to Drop the Bombs. It's a real article in Reuters. It was uh, written by her and... Uh, she had a co-writer. Um, this was uh, back in uh, well, eight years ago with Alexander McCoy and Jacqueline Lepore. In the emotional debate in Congress over the Iran nuclear deal, both sides claim they do not want war, but their ways to avoid it are radically different. Republican presidential candidates in their debates argued that the Iran leaders are so untrustworthy that the deal is foolhardy. They said Washington should walk away. Though President Barack Obama and many Democrats support the agreement, the GOP candidates and many in Congress argue that the Iran uh, administrations will cheat. And if they believe this, there is one thing they can do to help military strikes succeed. Support the deal. <laughs> the Iran deal creates inspections that allow the United States and five world powers, Britain, France, China, Russia, and Germany, to probe the strategic importance of various nuclear sites. If inspectors suspect cheating, they can demand access to the location. 
Any resistance by Iran would shine an enormous spotlight on that particular site, and it would tell the West that the site is important enough for Iran to risk war and suggest that Tehran's activity there violates the deal. It creates, in effect, a clear military target. Well, you know what, sweetie? We did that with Hans Bricks going over to Iraq under the Clinton administration multiple times. And if you remember, it was almost like, you know, a, a preteen trying to hide his nudie magazines. It's like the door is knocked on and then he hides it under the under the mattress. And then they come in, look around it. Nothing to see here. Look, it's all free and clear. And then as soon as they leave, pull it back out. They were doing that under Saddam Hussein in Iraq multiple times. It became really comical because... We would always go up. Oh, we've got information. We got to inspect your uh, weapons facilities. Okay, come on in, but you can do it next week. By the time we get over there, that stuff's gone and it's clean as a whistle. Yep, nothing, nothing here. And then they go right back to this ruse that we deal with. And she thinks the same thing is going to be able to happen with Iran. Never mind the fact that Iran can't stand America, death to America all the time, and uh, that's what we get. But. That was her great idea to identify military targets was to pass the Iran deal. Give them the pallets of cash, Obama. Give them the, the plutonium and the uranium so they can make their own energy. Oops, they made a bomb. Well, too bad. We didn't see that one coming, did we? Because they cleaned up the facility. The, the, they cleaned up the targets we were going to hit um, when we went over there to inspect it. But these are the brilliant people that are in charge, and uh, we are suffering because of it. Back to the post. Nick Rossman spent over five years at the CIA before joining Google in 2022 as senior manager of trust and safety. His activity on X is troubling, especially because his current position is content moderation. So why does Nick Rossman have a problem with white people? He himself is white. <laughs> this is that suburban leftist woman problem that we talked about. It happens with men, too. These beta males that want to sit there and and uh, cry about white people so they can avenge their white privilege, I guess, or something. But here's some of Nick, uh, Nick Rossman's unhinged behavior, and they've got these all archived. They're all negative tweets about white people. <laughs> you can't even make this up. Uh, Aubrey Jones said, why aren't we hearing about this in response to a, a deleted uh, tweet from Sean King? And he responds with, let me guess, he's a white dude. <laughs> okay, so... He's got a problem with the with the honkies, I guess. He posted, a rich white kid's family can pay for their girlfriend's ticket? Chase Young gets a loan, pays it back from someone who is not a university empl employee and is suspended. And then he has another one uh, archived where uh, it has to do with the uh, new college uh, likeness policy where you can, as a sports uh, in, individual in college, you can now market off of your name and likeness. And so, you know, a lot of people are banking on this. There's actually one, I think she's a, is she a volleyball player? I can't remember, but she's making tons just off her name and likeness um, in college. But he uh, responded to that policy with odd that the young black man can't profit off of their likeness, but the rich white man can. Okay. Well, I'm sure Nick Rossman is doing quite well. And he's got tons of uh, other tweets. You know, he was talking about uh, COVID-19, hoping Trump voters cough on their grandparents, uh, asking Trump if he's an agent of a foreign power, calling Trump a lunatic and a racist, tagging Keith Olbermann, using the hashtag resist, calling anti-vaxxers Nazis and Confederates. 
So they go on. Christopher Porter. Now, this guy, he spent most of his professional career in the intelligence community. After nine years at the CIA, he joined ODNI, where he was head of the IC Cyber Analysis Council, leading the team of CIA, FBI, NSA, and DOD uh, departments regarding U.S. elections. While at the ODNI, he regularly briefed President Biden, so it's only natural that as of June 2022, he joined Google as head of trust and threat of, of intelligence. Porter is also a member of the Atlantic Council. Yeah, the Atlantic Council had a big part in the election ir irregularities that we saw in 2020. Um, they also had a big part in the spying effort with the Five Eyes and the back-and-forth intelligence communities of Britain and the United States and some of the others, France, Germany, what have you, Australia, uh, all spying for each other. He's got a LinkedIn bio that states he likes to talk about Russia and election security. Wow, pretty amazing. Um, then we've got Deborah Wotuski, who joined Google in 2018 as Senior Director of Global Intelligence, her only prior work experience was 19 years at the CIA, where she was chief of staff to the director. Tusky is also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. So why would Deborah's intelligence desk at Google be so concerned about Putin's personal life or the inner workings of the Kremlin? Let's listen. Here at Google, I um, lead a team that's focused on a lot of the geopolitical developments and what does it mean for the company and at the beginning of the war, um, the invasion of Ukraine, I said to my analysts, we just need to keep asking ourselves, is there something that Vladimir Putin knows that we don't know? I'm not suggesting he's sick. I'm not suggesting that, you know, there's a coup around him, but we just have to, we have to question our own assumptions. Is there something that he knows that we don't know that could be driving the timeline, that could be driving the decision-making? Because I've learned that over time, off, you don't have the complete picture. You have an assumption that um, usually informs that first initial decision or first initial perspective on the action. And I just want us to kind of like slow down, take a look at all of the information, look at it from multiple perspectives and recognize that some of the information takes some time to develop. You know, it's amazing if you think about it, because there was all this talk about Putin's health and uh, his well-being and everything. And then we see him sit down with Tucker Carlson and he seemed fine. In fact, he knew a lot of the uh, ancient history of Russia, and he spent a lot of time talking about it. Uh, back, to the, uh, back to the thread, Catherine Tobin joined Google in 2021. Her career path is like others um, in this thread, where after six years at Booz Allen Hamilton, she spent four at the ODNI, followed by four years at the CIA, and then returned to the ODNI for three more years. With over 10 years of experience in the intelligence community, Google was the obvious choice for her. On her LinkedIn bio, she states that her favorite uh, that her favorite problems to solve are promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Look at that. <laughs> that seems to show up everywhere, doesn't it? Catherine wrote a blog post on LinkedIn sharing her transition from the CIA to the private sector entitled, My New Mission from Spine to Startups. <laughs> Unbelievable. Beth Schmeier. She joined Google in 2022 as a global threat analyst and intel manager. Her only prior work experience was five years at the CIA. Additionally, she spent nine years working in Madrid, 
for the State Department. We're going to get into the State Department here in a minute, where she claims to have been tasked with, quote, implementing the U.S. government's agenda in Spain and Latin America. Then he goes on to highlight Omar Ahmed. Well, Omar Ahmed joined Google in 2020 as manager of trust and safety at Google and YouTube. His only prior work experience is 10 years at the State Department. I suppose his experience in Indonesia, Afghanistan, and Senegal qualifies him to be a content moderator. Jamie Washington joined Google in 2018 as director of threat intelligence. Her only experience prior to joining Google is two years at the FBI and 13 years at the CIA, two of those in Iraq. You got Chelsea Magnet joined Google in 2018 as public policy manager. Her prior experience was with the CIA for nine years. She's also an instructor at the Aspen Institute. Dawn Burton joined Google's trust and safety team in 2022. She was previously at Twitter's trust and safety, but was fired by Elon Musk prior to this. She spent six years with the DOJ, then four years at the FBI as a senior advisor to James Comey. Huh. Didn't James Comey have something to do with the Russia collusion thing? After a career at the DOJ and the FBI working for James Comey, it's totally normal that she would transition to trust and safety departments at tech platforms, right? Young Suk Lee joined Google in 2019 as director of global risk analysis. His only prior work history was 22 years at the CIA, where he was the deputy assistant director of Korea Mission Center. He's also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Candace Bryant joined Google in 2021 as executive and internal comms manager. Her only other work experience was eh, 17 years at the CIA. She led the CIA's social media team with the goal of boosting the agency's public image. I can list over 100 more examples of individuals whose sole work uh, of history is within the intelligence co uh, community or career State Department diplomats. And so, you know, he goes on. But you see right there, there's a mosaic of a ton of people that were all CIA, all FBI or NSA, State Department. Um, in some form or fashion, they're now employed by Google and YouTube and Facebook or Meta. And you got to think, if you remember what happened with the State Department. So you wonder why there was an Arab Spring. Suddenly in Tunisia, you remember they said it was some apple cart guy, the salesman who was berated by a female cop and then he burned himself and it caused a big uprising. And then you saw the spill out in different countries, you know, the, the uprising in Egypt where they installed the Muslim Brotherhood for a period of time, which, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood oversees Hamas and Hezbollah. You know, they're offshoots of the Muslim Brotherhood, but we can get into that later. Um, Syria went insane where everybody from Germany to France's Macron and everybody was bombing the crap out of Syria because of Syria. Apparently Bashar al-Assad was gassing his own people, but he wasn't. It was the terrorist organizations and they were trying to pin it on Bashar al-Assad so they could, you know, take him out. We lost Libya. Gaddafi was killed. And next thing you know, we had Benghazi. And if you saw the movie 13 hours, because I've read the account by the, some of the people that were involved in the Benghazi fight that were there, that were defending the consulate and the CIA headquarters that was there. Uh, it, it mirrors exactly the movie mirrors exactly the account. And in the movie, you see where tons of people Tons of militants just suddenly arrive all at the same time and start firebombing these places. How were they organized so well? Same with Ukraine. The, uh, the coup where Poroshenko was installed after Viktor uh, Yanukovych was taken out 
and you had Victoria Newland going out, passing out cookies. You had Eric Charamella shooting off uh, rounds into the public square that kicked off the entire start uh, startup of this revolution. How did that happen? Well, we heard about a thing called Civil Society 2.0. Under Hillary Clinton and the State Department, they would gather revolutionaries, people that wanted change with regimes that they didn't agree with, the regimes that may have been out of step with America, and they would organize them. They would provide them weapons. They would organize uh, training materials and what have you. And then when the time was right, through social media back channels, whether it be Twitter, direct messaging groups or Telegram groups or what have you, they would organize. And that's where you would see these utter just spontaneous exploding groups of people just out of the blue, taking down governments and taking on the military and what have you. And they tried to make it seem like, oh, these are students. Look, they're just mad at their government. They want to rise up. And this is a wave of change. And it wasn't. It was all gaslit. It was all color revolutions behind the scenes done through social media back channels. And when you have the CIA running most of these social media organizations, you can see it's pretty easy to get the right people in the right place to make things happen. So a former State Department official, Mike Benz, he was talking about the concept of color revolutions. This is a long clip. It's probably about five, six minutes long, but it's worth your listen. Um, one of the things he talked about, they were talking about a movie called Bringing Down a Dictator. And in this movie, it was a movie made about Slobodan Milosevic when the students had an uprising, a nonviolent defeat of the Serbian leader, Slobodan Milosevic. If you remember, this happened under the Clinton administration. Um, he talks about this movie to lay out what is a color revolution. And you have to think, are they doing that now to their own country? Is this a color revolution being done to America? And listen to him give the explanation of color revolutions, the details behind it. It's a pretty amazing clip. Why are we watching this movie about the Serbian people-powered color revolution to bring down Slobodan Milosevic, an event that happened, I believe, in the year 1999. Why are we watching this in 2024? Of all the things, of all the gin joints in all the world, why are we doing this? Well, this is a really unique film, and it's a really unique uh, tell-all uh, for a very specific blueprint strategy that is applied by our government, the, if you're with us in the U.S., the U.S. government, a combination of the U.S. State Department, the Pentagon, and the CIA are the are sort of three-fangled soft power influence, um, you know, multi-headed hydra there, uh, to be able to overthrow foreign governments or to be able to destabilize foreign regimes when they are no longer uh, cooperative or we want to get rid of them for whatever reason. This is a capacity that we have developed and built. And what's really interesting about it is it is a, it is a military strategy that is based entirely on the non-military functions of a society. Um, so a, a little bit of background here, and I'm just starting with this Wikipedia before we go into the uh, go into the actual, the actual film itself, so you can see some of the rich history of this. So during the Cold War, um, 
based on the success that we had in overthrowing countries, the countries like the government of Iran and dozens of others, um, we developed, we, we started copying a, a sort of British uh, 19th century strategy of of weaponizing the cleavages in a in a society to overthrow their government so that we could uh, get things from them. For example, if we wanted their oil and gas or their minerals, or we wanted a military base there, or they were being non-cooperative in international multilateral um, uh, stakeholder negotiations, or if they owed us money, they owed money to the IMF or the World Bank. You name it. There's there's many reasons that you may want to overthrow a government. And the problem is, after 1948, you couldn't just march in there with tanks anymore because international law prohibited territorial acquisition by military force. So we had to come up with a different strategy to take over a country. And this strategy of so-called color revolutions, which get their name from basically the State Department color coding, literally color coding by country, um, the, the banners uh, that dissidents would use in the country, you know, the Orange Revolution, the Green Revolution, the Rose Re Revolution, the Violet Revolution. Um, the, uh, they were basically, you know, you can almost think of it like a State Department file drawer with different countries with different files um, co color-coded, essentially. That's where that name comes from. But what it involves is exploiting the specific cleavages and grievances within a country in order to rally everybody who matters in the country against that country's government. And there's, there's, you know, there's basically two ways to overthrow a government. One is a military coup, which is where you get a critical mass of that country's military leaders to defect, and then they have the guns, so they have the government, effectively. And that was sort of the, that's sort of now the old-fashioned way of doing it. It still happens from time to time. It happened recently in... I want to say Malaysia, um, but uh, it's it's rare. the 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 new and improved version of doing this involves working with a country's union organizations, its worker, its working class, uh, its its ethnic minority groups, groups who are aggrieved uh, uh, by the government, gr groups who are prosecuted by the government, such as that country's drug dealers and um, and mafia gangs. Uh, because it involves a, a combination of paramilitary activity, of blanketing street protests, of mass walkouts and boycotts to essentially bring the country's governance to a halt, induce a crisis, force the government out during that crisis, and then install a U.S.-backed leader as the new president who will do what the State Department says. So I just have on screen, before we start the movie, a little bit of the history of this of this movie, um, which, and just before I get to that, this strategy was pioneered in the 1950s by a Harvard, Harvard scholar um, named Gene Sharp. Gene Sharp was part of something called the Harvard CIA. Uh, now, CIA in that case stands for Center for International Affairs, the Center for International Affairs at Harvard. Um, but it should, it's worth noting that, that, that those cheeky, uh, that three letters there um, were not an accident. That center was started by Henry Kissinger, um, and it served as a sort of link between Harvard and the CIA itself. The program got a $50 million grant from the Pentagon to develop the technique of non-Pentagon-based civil society uh, uh, 
un unrest fomenting. And uh, Gene Sharp ended up penning this book called From Dictatorship to Democracy, which was, was is, is to this day sort of the manual for how to take down a democratically elected leader within a country. And of course, this is relevant today, as you got, as you know, anyone who's followed me for any stretch of time, you know that um, you know the the domestic color revolution, the, the strategy of doing that abroad, um, began to be deployed uh, at home, beginning with the election of Donald Trump and the attempts to oust him using those same techniques, using those same networks, the same military networks, the same diplomacy networks, the same intelligence networks, and the same public interest networks. And so, you know, this was basically because Trump broke the Yankee cowboy uh, phalanx, that uniparty control over Washington, and they attempted to reassert it by this field of democracy promotion, democracy studies, this, this, this field of, of study and operations of o overthrowing a government in the name of democracy um, to our own democratically elected president. And we're going to be seeing an awful lot more of this in 2024 as all the, as all the rental riots are reinflated, as the democracy predicate for destabilizing uh, both Trump, his campaign, and if he wins, his entire presidency. Um, it's all come home to roost. As a normative matter, I don't know that I had a problem with this technique before it came home. It's a mean old world out there. You know, it's, it's better the U.S. is on top than another country, so to speak. I can at least agree with some of my diplomacy comrades on that front. But as far as I see it, the moment they brought this home after the 2016 election, uh, it instantly delegitimized the 50 years of doing this abroad. Um, the Department of Dirty Tricks was never supposed to come home. And the fact that it has basically, I think, allows it a fair criticism of airing all of the dirty laundry that, uh, that we basically either kept hidden or kept hushed uh, throughout that, that period because the American public now needs to understand these tactics, these networks, the strategy, the, the specific sequence that, that these things move through uh, in order to recognize what their, own, what their own government actors essentially are doing to them. Yeah, 100%. This is why everything you're seeing from the, the COVID lockdowns to the border invasion to the crazy election results with all of the cardboard on the recount window, the windows of the precincts of the individuals trying to recount. Um, this is why you're seeing lawlessness with the Soros DAs letting criminals go. This is why you're seeing after George Floyd, multiple municipalities, tons of cities burning in flames all at the same time. This is, this is all a part of a color revolution being pushed on America by its own individuals. And I don't know if this is for the World Economic Forum Global Union. That's the reason why they need to collapse this. This is the reason why they're lo looking at CD, uh, uh, BC, what is this, central bank digital currencies. Uh, maybe this is why they're looking at AI and the AI that they're turning out already is filled with woke garbage where you ask, you know, AI to give you the image of the Pope and it's like some, <laughs> some black lesbian. <laughs> I, I don't know. This has got to be one of the reasons, because a lot of the tactics come from uh, Chairman Mao, his cultural revolution playbook of the 1950s, where, you know, a lot of it with the with the different uh, 
student factions, you know, the uh, what the red uh I'm trying to remember what they were called, but they were basically a group of student groups that were uh violent thugs that went on the streets, uh people turning in their uh, their own relatives, uh, them changing the culture, destroying the culture like we're doing with the the gender insanity, 57 genders and what have you. This is why the the you know, teachers are trying to push graphic novel homosexual porn books in in children's libraries and public schools. It's all a part of this color revolution. And we better get really, you know, familiar with what's going on and take heart to what Mike Benz just said and look at the fact that the all the social media platforms were littered with CIA and different intelligence uh, officials and realize where we are at this moment in time. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. God bless.